everybody. Coming up today on the Daily Wildcat Football Podcast, sports editor Jordan Pollock joins me to discuss if the Arizona football team has actually hit rock bottom, the quarterback play as of late, Stanley Berryhill becoming a superstar, Jed Fish's play calling, this weekend's game against Oregon, and break down the rest of the season's games. All right, I am here with our sports editor, Jordan Pollock. Jordan, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I got to sleep in and play some video games. My morning class was canceled, so it's been a really good day. That's always good to hear, but there haven't been many good things to come out of the U of A football program. As we know, they lost for the first time to Northern Arizona, 21-19, to and that's the first time they lost to them since 1932, breaking their 15-game winning streak, extending their losing streak to 15 games. How ironic is that? Um, Jordan, just give me some of your overall thoughts from the game this past weekend. Um, I was not able to watch the first half because I was at a wedding, but the second half I watched most of that. And it it was just like back and forth. Nobody was really dominant. There were turnovers on both sides of the ball. It sounded like U of A kind of was in control most of the first half. Whatever that looked like with Yeah, like, they, they got off to a they, yeah, they got off to a thirteen uh point lead. They were up thirteen nothing. Um, in the first quarter, and then it kind of went downhill. But nobody, it wasn't like a dominant like first quarter, like even being up, you know, over the touchdown. Uh, they, Will Plummer never could really get going. Nobody on offense really could. It was kind of just a mediocre performance. And as we know, they, they let NAU get back in the game, and it all was history from there. Yeah, it sounded like the biggest turn in the game was when uh, Will Plummer threw that pick six in the second quarter. Um, and I know they did not do a good job getting a running game established. I know that was something I said before the SDSU game that I thought they were going to really try to nail down as their offensive line and trying to get widely established in the running game. And really surprising they didn't do that at all in the first half against NAU. But it sounded like they're... Well, from the second half when I was watching, they were kind of getting Anderson a lot more touches, and I think they had a, their third running back was getting touches too. And he, they were they were popping off in the second half. Yeah, Drake Anderson had a really good game. He had 12 carries for 80 yards, averaging six yards attempt. The guy you were talking about is Jalen John, who we haven't seen a lot of. He had five carries, 37 yards, 7.4 yards a carry, which is just excellent to see. But that was one of the only positives on offense. As we know, this, this loss to me was just flat-out embarrassing, disgraceful. Um, I think, to, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but Jordan, but I thought this was just a worse feeling than the loss last year to ASU 70-7. It kind of hit different because it's against an FCS opponent um, you know, a team that they've beaten, obviously, for over 70 years, uh, 15 times. And, you know, ASU, that was at the end of Kevin Sumlin. You know, the spirits were already low going into that game. I wasn't expecting a lot, but this just caught me off guard. And I knew it was creeping up on them this game all year. I knew it wasn't a for-sure win, but 
I mean, who could expect this? Yeah, I, I think specifically just because it's a very lower grade college football program. Um, respect to NAU, though, they, they did not play themselves in a way that they should have won that game against a, against a like a top notch Power Five program. But they did. They are rotating court NAU. They're rotating quarterbacks. Who's the top notch program? Oh, I'm I'm saying I'm saying against against the top notch program, they would not have even been uh, in that gotcha. game. But just the fact that it is a power five program and like we like UVA does recruit like three, four star players and NAU probably barely gets two star players. Like I I think that's just like speaks a lot of especially because the program's not in a great position for NAU and for them to come down to Tucson and get a win I as much as we can talk bad about U of A I think I think we do need to give NAU a little bit of credit a lot of credit yeah. I, 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 I 100% agree on that they deserve a ton of credit to, to do what they have done here and beat Arizona um, but as you mentioned a little bit the prospects and I've I've always sided with Jed Fish and sided with people who have said that when they lose to schools like BYU or even San Diego State, who's a good team out west, like the talent might not be on their level. Or as we, as we know, they're playing Oregon. We'll get into that later. Talent's obviously not on their level either. But against a team like it's this isn't an insult to NAU, but let's just be fair and honest here. I mean, you just said it. The talent for Arizona is on a higher um, level than NAU's, you know. So this that just to me makes it like there's no excuses. I get we'll get into the quarterback stuff in a few minutes, but you know you got to put all that aside and you got to figure out a way to get the job done here. Definitely, definitely, and that's one thing that's really rare, especially about college football, is the talent and discrepancies between teams, between conferences, between. Um, between FCS and FBS, there is a huge jump going from the FCS level to, to the FBS level. And there's only so much schematically that you can do, especially when talent is that much different. And so I think with U of A, it's just their talent, their talent's not there compared to other Pac-12 teams, ideally. But they weren't like dominated schematically by NAU. They just played bad. They yeah, they turned the ball over. They kind of out like you know some parts they not out scheme themselves, but in a way they overthought things and try to you know they just I mean the, the something I want to talk about and I can talk about it right now is I think Jed Fish's play calling has been flat out horrible. I think it's way too. Um, it's way too vanilla. It's not. There's nothing complex there. I think he doesn't. I'll talk about Barry Hill um, in a little bit. He's been Arizona's best player, as we know. But um, like, there's no. There's about two to three deep balls a game. There's not a lot of slants. It's mainly you know simple screen passes, uh, running the ball a lot, and just not letting their playmakers get involved. And I think that's what they need when they have three quarterbacks that can't create a ton of offense on their own, you know? Yeah, especially I think I think one thing to talk about is that this is a brand new system, especially when 
majority of the returning players have been in Kevin Sumlin's like spread offense kind of hybrid like heavy passing so this is a different system I know that's not really something that's really been talked about is is how the players have really adjusted and and if that does kind of seep into the vanilla play calling is whether there is a bunch of this offense that maybe they haven't installed maybe they they have installed and they're just choosing not to run it and they're trying to get basics done or they're playing a lot more to try to attack defenses rather than go with their strengths um it's it's a super it's a super complicated thing with especially the offenses nowadays in college football but i i wouldn't go as far to say that the play calling's been terrible i think the execution has been terrible yeah and that gets to something that uh coach jed fish said after the game against niu nau on saturday and he said that some of the times with Will Plummer, McLeod played a little better, but it's just the the execution on whether just the knowing whether or not you know to get it to a guy on you know a screen route, a slant, a hook, like those certain decisions. It seems like he even knows that's off, and that's beyond him, you know. Because something I've always said is coaching, good coaching wins, but it's also players win games first. The players are the ones playing, and, you know, Jed Fish isn't on there taking the snap under center at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? So he, at the, like, the quarterbacks just aren't, they're just not very good. That's just the best way to put it. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially especially when you look at the top, like, quarterbacks. Like, our room is, like, not even close, and that's, that's just an indication like a huge difference between us and a lot of like power five schools but but you look at even the pac-12 like what quarterbacks are like amazing out of the pac-12 like i think I mean, like utah's quarterback just transferred just left the program like three to three days ago charlie brewer who yeah. walked in transferred over the offseason walked in and into a good um utah program that's been that's been really good and has won games yeah. over the last 10 years with uh, Coach Whittingham, I believe is his name. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's also just like the conference. Like, we don't have a ton of good I mean, you, I mean, either. I've never been the biggest fan of Keaton Slovis, but he is a potential first-round pick for USC. Um, but he got, hurt. He, he got hurt over the last year. I mean, DTR with UCLA has been leading them pretty well. Um, yeah, lose, there's no, there's no. On Saturday though. Yeah, they did. So Fresno. Yeah, Fresno State's looked good recently, but yeah, I, I don't. I agree with that statement. The Pac-12 doesn't have elite quarterbacks, but I mean, let's talk about the production this past Saturday. Will Plummer started the game, uh, as we know. He played the first three quarters, then was pulled for Jordan McLeod. It was McLeod's first appearance as a Wildcat. Um, Plummer had 191 yards. A touchdown and two picks. The one pick was really brutal. It was right. Before, it was a minute before halftime. Um, yeah, and he threw the pick six when they were up uh, almost two scores. So that really hurt him. But yeah, McLeod kind of brought that same energy in the fourth quarter that I kind of said that Will Plummer brought uh, against San Diego State when he came in. So it was a big energy booster and. He seems he is more experienced. He started the most games. Yeah, as we uh, he previously played at um, USF, 
But, yeah, he's still – all these quarterbacks are still inexperienced and haven't played a lot um, of games so far. But what did you think about both guys' performances? And, yeah. I remember Clouds, I think, like, his first series, he took, like, a 10-yard sack and just, like, ran backwards. And I remember just thinking, like, do you think you're Russell Wilson? What the heck are you doing? And he, like, quickly turned turned it around in that fourth quarter. And I was I was very impressed with what he showed and the poise that he showed, especially kind of from the get go of being in the in the corner of the room with Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer, kind of um, at the start of the year against BYU when they they were like both the starting quarterbacks and and I don't even know where that's at. It, it'll be interesting to see whether this is going to be a carousel for the whole season because the last two games which have been like gotten to the point where they've been embarrassing and Jeff Fish has made a switch like in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And then that quarterback like looks good. And then going into next week, it's like, oh, like he played really well. We'll, we'll see what what practice happens in the week. So I'm curious because now like Will Plummer, yeah, well, Will Plummer the- was hurt and McLeod and Gunnar Cruz have been splitting um, – the other the reps this week and so is McLeod now going to start well and there was there, there was um, uh, Jed Fish's weekly press conferences he had one on Monday and always on Thursday before the weekend's game and he did say earlier today that um, there isn't an official starter right now but he does hope to name one before the game on Saturday against Oregon you know he doesn't want to go in with the two quarterbacks and then you know every drive Flip a guy, but the the big part of the news was, is that it sounds like Will Plummer is, you know, it sounds like he's a little bit hurt. He said he's banged. Jed Fish said he's banged up after the, yeah, after the NAU game, and so it'll be either Gunner Cruz, who uh, we haven't seen in two games, or Jordan McLeod to make his first start uh, at at Arizona against Oregon this weekend. But Jordan, I just wanted to get your take. Uh, like, who do you think? Um, because Jed Fish did say once again he keeps preaching that he's going to name a quarterback, you know, for the foreseeable future in the coming week or two. But who do you think should be that guy? We've seen all the guys. We've seen Plummer. We've seen Cruz, McLeod, limited uh, in limited time. But who do who do you think should be the guy? I think personally, I think the ratings between Will Plummer and Jordan McLeod just out of the huge hesitancy I saw from Gunnar Cruz in that first half of that SDSU game, I think that's just something that you can't have from a quarterback, especially right now where we're in this state. Like, trying not to lose is just, like, not what we should be doing. And so I think it'll – obviously something's going on in practice where they're still, like, super hesitant about Jordan McLeod and whether that's just off of historically he seems like similar to Khalil Tate and they want to have more of a passer than an athletic guy, I don't know. I I, want to guess there that it's more based, the way it's gone, I think it's more based on that there's not a clear guy who, you know, is above the rest and that's, you know, like in practice, you know, looks better completing all the passes. I think they're all just around equal talents, and it's basically you all know, equally mediocre. Yeah, sense. yeah. But that, that, I mean, you hate to say that, but that's it. Looks like what we got here, and it's really puts Jed Fish 
in a tough position who to go with week to week. And it's really a process of elimination. You know, Will Plummer just got hurt, or now he's kind of injured. So that could leave him in the number three hole. I mean, you know, because this weekend it sounds like he will, he might not be suited up uh, if he's coming off an injury. But that means that, you know, uh, that means that Cruz and McLeod will take the one-two spots. And, you know, it's basically next man up. But, yeah, like right now if you had to say, who, who do you take? One guy. Rest of the season, I think I'm just taking Jordan McLeod just based off of the the athleticism and the possibility of continuing plays. I think that's that's something like Gunnar Cruz. I said he was super hesitant and was almost looked scared trying to put balls in tight windows. And Jordan McLeod just kind of the complete opposite in a sense. He's not he like he hasn't made reckless throws at least out of what we've seen. But he's going to try to extend plays. He's going to try to put the ball out deep. He's going to try to put it in places to where only his receiver could see. Again, that's only off of a little over a quarter against an FCS school. But that's that's what I've seen and off of some of his highlights um, when he was down at USF. That's, that's, that's who I would like to see start. Yeah, I, I think, Jordan, I would have to agree with you here if I had to pick someone. And the guy right now that looks like he's in the best spot just because it's almost the mystery of you know we haven't seen him as much so it's like like he looked pretty good against NAU and hopefully he can look better he hasn't shown like he hasn't turned the ball over yet um so it's basically the unknown is pretty much the biggest positive with the in the quarterback room at this point. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be really interesting to see, especially if McLeod plays, because like I said, that's that's a thing that he brings is his athleticism, his ability to to keep the play going when when uh, protections break down and the secondaries covering their top their top uh, routes at the time. But they're going into a, like a really tough environment in Austin up in Eugene this weekend. And that defense is led by what some people are considering one of the best defensive ends to come out since Miles Garrett and Kevon Tippett. On yeah, I know he's been a little banged up this this season, but I I'm really curious to see kind of what that looks like for McLeod if he gets the start or if he gets any playing time, even what what he's going to look like against that defensive front. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. He's a great player, but, I mean, if he's there or not, I don't think it'll matter that much for the matchup. But I want to talk about the receivers. But before we do that, uh, we have to take a break and hear from our sponsor. That was a word from our sponsor. If you're interested in working for Daily Wildcat or Student UA, our applications are closed right now, but when they open in October, visit dailywildcat.com slash apply now. All right, we are back here with Jordan, and let's talk about the great receiver play that we've gotten. I have said, um, and I'll say it once again, I think Arizona has the most um, underrated receiving core, uh, as we know, led by Stanley Berryhill, who right now is fourth in the country with receptions with 28, and he's second in the Pac-12, which is just incredible. As we know, this past weekend, he had 11 receptions, 94 yards, added 20 more on the ground rushing. I mean, what do you think of his play so far? He's He's been one of the very few jewels that has kind of shown bright out of the program. And it's 
it's interesting to think maybe if he's on even a mediocre Pac-12 team, what kind of like um, pro prospects he could get. Um, I'm going to say it right now. I think he 100% is an NFL prospect. What he's done, even even on yeah, this? yeah, on this team, I, I don't care what team he's on. As we know, Gary Brightwell um, is on the Giants and was a fourth round pick. So yeah, you can make it out of a, a you know a not so great team and program. But Stanley Berryhill, what he's shown is it's just it's simply incredible. I mean, he trained in the last two years. He's transformed himself into a decent player. You know, he was kind of like a two to three now through injury with Jamari Joyner. Um, who still hasn't made his debut this season, he's really taken that big step forward that many thought he could. Yeah, he's definitely put himself at the number one wide receiver position easily. And I th- I think a main reason of that is just, like, his ability to run the route tree. Like, he's he's doing every route on the route tree. He's running deep balls. He's he's taking the ball to the line of scrimmage. He's, he's even been handed off the ball. And I know he leads he leads the whole conference in all purpose yards. And I know some of that also helps because he's a return man and he just does a little bit of everything for this team. But I He's really been that one reliable guy on the entire team that yes. more so the offense, the defense, you know, Anthony Pandy's reliable. But you know, Stanley Barry Hill has really, you know, yeah, anything you've said, you know, you gotta return punts, you gotta take a few carries a game. You got to catch some slants, some screens, some deep balls. He literally can do every single part. So far in three games, he's had over ten catch, over eleven catches, and over a hundred yards, all-purpose yards in two out of the three games, which is just simply amazing. And it's just great that there's something positive to come out of this very poor offense so far that hasn't that has yet to score twenty points in a game. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I'm, I'm very curious to see what he's gonna look like when Pac-12 play starts, especially into some of those kind of defensive-oriented teams like this weekend against Oregon and um, against ASU. I know they have some really good defensive backs, and also with Utah. So. I think the one thing that's gonna be the constant with him is the receptions. He's at least at this point gonna get probably seven to eight receptions a game. I mean, you know, who this team's deep, but he's the reliable guy. I wanted to talk about a few of the other guys, though, too. Uh, One of the guys was Booby Curry, who I was very happy to see. I've been, uh, I've been loved watching, well, I loved him in high school, and then when he came here, he hasn't did much, but uh, he had three catches, 55 yards, two touchdowns, and it really was his breakout performance here uh, at Arizona. That was his first few receptions of the season in the third game and I hope more of it's to come you know that I, I've been saying it in the end zone you can use him as basically for that jump ball he's a bigger bodied guy and can you know he's reach over defenders he's and athletic. yeah with that 50 yard touchdown too he he is quite the speedster on the outside yeah I know I've been watching him through his career at U of A and it's just been hard for him to get on the field for some reason um, That's yeah. what I've always wondered with some of these guys. Like, there has to be stuff we don't know because, you know, he, he was a guy, he was one of the receivers. There's about four receivers last year who entered the transfer portal yeah. when, you know, someone got fired. And he was one of the guys who came back. So it's like, 
when he decided to come back, there had to be something that the coaching staff told him or and, and that he was going to get an opportunity because so far he hasn't got much of an opportunity, but he's basically excelled when he has. Yeah, I think that's also been really surprising, especially with Jamari Joyner, who like, did not play at all in the first two games. Rui Curry simply still couldn't get on the field for some reason. Yeah, Joyner still didn't play last week. Yeah. Um, he's supposed to play this week. I think they're easing him back because, you know, their team's not doing as well. And the, the receiving the receiving room's deep. That's just a fact. Uh, I don't think they're – I think people are forgetting about Jamari Joyner and how important he was. He was the team's leading receiver last year. Um, so, yeah, I think he is a, still a, one of the most important players. But I – I think the the team will get him back very shortly in the yeah. coming weeks. Yeah, I think it was, well, at least from my perspective, I thought it was pretty clear he was easily the best receiver before BYU on this roster. And I, I, I thought they were going to be hurting a lot more without him. And Stanley's just jumped in and kind of almost assumed that role that I definitely thought Jamari Joyner would have. And I know, I remember even after the SDSU game, um, Jeff Fish kept him out of the game. He was he was good to go, but he kept him out of the game just because of how out of hand it got. And so I, I thought it was interesting hearing Jeff Fish. He was saying that he ha- they had specific plays for Joyner and for Joyner to get the ball. And so I'm curious kind of what that looks like for Barry Hill as well. And I, like the kind I of think, plays that they, yeah. they forced to get him the ball. I think Barry Hill's spot on this team is pretty secure but Jordan I wanted to answer um you know let's try to answer the big question and like do you think this team has hit rock bottom yet losing 15 straight dating back to October 5th 2019 when they beat Colorado uh, or yeah their last one was against Colorado on October 5th uh, 2019 but do you think like there's uh, like do you think there's a, a path to get this team back to relevancy in the future I think there is. I think I think that's what they're playing for right now is for the future. I know a lot of it gleams towards, like, the recruiting field. A lot of people are saying, oh, U of A is, like, not going to be able to get recruits. But losing 15 games in a row and telling top recruits, hey, you could come in day one and, and compete for a starting job. I, I, th- I think, especially the where we're at in college football, a lot of people that – a lot of top recruits that – walk into Alabama and walk into Ohio State and those top programs and if you're good enough and you get a play then you're probably going to be a pro in three years but if you're not good enough and you don't get on the field your first two years you're going to transfer pretty quick and so I think just playing time for a lot of kids is super big especially when you're not the number number one recruit and you're not going into a top program instantly so I think I think that's a plus side from a recruiting angle that I'm sure coaches are using. Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the biggest positives, like, you know, with getting players in here and getting players to games and trying to help or trying to bring them and to build this thing up uh, as best as they can. But, I mean, besides that playing time, I mean, let's be real. I've said it the last three years since they've been on this path kind of, like, why would – a recruit want to come to Arizona if not all recruits have the option but if they had the option to go to a USC to go to a US or UCLA to go to um, 
even in Arizona State. Arizona State hasn't had great success. Don't get me wrong. They've underperformed the last few years too, but, I mean, they've won games. And, and you know, so, like, why do you think somebody would want to come here right now? I think creating a culture and being a foundational piece in the culture, I, th- I think you bring up USC, and USC is in that group of a lot of, at least the two schools that I named, Alabama and Ohio State, who have very rich histories of being winning football programs. And that's just not something that we have really ever said about U of A. Like, we, the Desert Swarm era through the 90s was, like, like pretty legit. Like, they beat Miami in a big bowl game when Miami was ruling college football. Had a great few years, and then and then right after Dick Tomey had a few – had a coach that wasn't super great. Everybody remembers a Nick Foles um, U of A stint, and we have Gronk, and we had a few games, few wins – there's a good season for Rich Rod, but we are not a winning program, and I think, I think trying to compare us to no, no, I'll, certain, I'll certain programs, but at least putting putting in like a like a blueprint of hey, this is how we get there. I think is just like not super credible, just because we don't have that history. And so I think there's other places we need to go. Like I think Clemson is is the biggest team that you look at because before Dabo Sweeney. They like weren't relevant really at all. Even Dabo Sweeney's first few years, yeah. like nobody remembers. Yeah. They like weren't great. Dabo Sweeney almost got fired. I think year four. Yeah. And one great year they had, like Todd Boyd's senior year, mm. they go down to Miami to Miami and they beat an Ohio State team in the Orange Bowl. Next year they get Deshaun Watson and it's all history. And so I think I think it's just stacking those those cards in a certain deck to where. We get a few good recruits, and we get to a place where we can figure out how to win games. Because that's there are sophomores on this team that have never won a college football game. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And the the Desert Swarm era that you talked about in the '90s, you know, I love. I mean, they always bring it up, and I kind of hate it because, like you said, I mean, it was so long ago. It was you know was, 25, yeah. 30 years ago at this point. So it's like it's not really. At this point, like, why, if someone's, like, coaches or, or they're trying to send the message and they're like, yeah, look at this in 1994 or just something like that, what I'm yeah. saying, like, why, and they were, like, if I was a recruiter, I'd be like, but that hasn't, n- nobody's tried to replicate or even come close to that Definitely. in, you know, 25 years. So, yeah, but I, I, I do agree that there needs to be a path, like, with a building, something, um, but, but my whole thing is, we, we just don't see that. We haven't seen much of it yet. I mean, I like the, like, the catchphrases. Are, they're cute and they're cool and all the graphics. But let's be real. I mean, you got to play. You got to win games on the field. Like all that stuff. I, I think they might have, like, spent too much time on that stuff and, like, because, and not enough time on the field. I, yeah, Jet, I Jetfish said, like, they're always game planning and they're always well prepared. But how prepared are they? Yeah. I mean, they don't look prepared when, you know, when the whistle blows and the game starts. So it, it's just, it's hard to see, I mean, anything. I was a, I'm was a Sixers fan. It's my favorite team. And even when they won 10 games, there were still good young players I would like to see. And there was progress, a little progress every season. And that's the only thing that I'm, like, right now is I'm not seeing. There's no progress game to game and from week to week, you know. Like, they had a good first game, and then they look horrible, and they look even worse. Yeah. So it's like, why should anyone come to a game? It's just like, hell, I just don't know where this program goes. Yeah. I know 
lot of it just kind of goes down to winning. The other day, Aaron Rodgers, who's my boy, I'm a Packers fan, was on the Pat McAfee show. I was talking about their first win after they got blown out by the Saints in week one. And one thing he said, which I definitely agree with, and being a U of A fan, I can see a lot of clarity in his thought of reasoning, is, is every team is different. And some teams need to first figure out like how they can win. And I know it's really easy for us to kind of point back and look like last year, like we have a 15 game losing streak and for the program, that's bad. But this team is on a three game losing streak for the 2021 season. And so there is brand new coaching staff. And so right now they're just like trying to figure out how to get a win. And you're right. There hasn't been consistency in games and they've had stretches where they've looked bad and then, and then they throw in a new quarterback, and then they look good all yeah. of a sudden. I think so. another thing along with that, you know, with the new coaching staff, is people forget, but Jed Fish has never called plays before in his life, before this year. Agreed. Brendan Carroll has never called plays uh, before. He's not calling the plays, but, you know, being in much more of a, you know, figure in that, that offensive room uh, than he has been in the past. So I think maybe they just need time to grow, and hopefully they can I mean, obviously through three games, you can't say that they're not great at it or they can't be, but I think maybe for next year they need to bring, you know, they have Don Brown on the defensive side, a veteran, a guy who's been around, but I think they need that on the offensive side. I think they need to bring a guy in, maybe an assistant or two, you know, veterans, guys that have been either from the NFL world, the college football world, and, you know, just another voice and input in that room. Yeah, I... I I don't know I don't know if I would agree with that just cuz just cuz like you said like they are brand new and I don't like it's obviously doesn't look good now but I think there are certain growing pains around that and that you're going to have especially with with a roster that we don't think is super talented comparable to other Pac-12 schools and to be honest this year they might need to do like some very untraditional things to to get points on the board and to get wins. I know we've kind of haven't seen a ton of that just because of the talent of teams they've played. I would not be surprised, especially this weekend, if we see some very non-traditional types of play calling. Yeah, and let's, uh, Jordan, let's get into that game. This weekend, as we know, the Arizona Wildcats go to Eugene. They're playing the University of Oregon, number third ranked uh, Oregon Ducks right now in the country. The game's at 7.30 on the ESPN. Um, and, yeah, I believe Arizona right now are 28.5-point underdogs. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? I personally do not see it playing out really well, mostly just because of how dominant Oregon is on the offensive front, specifically the offensive front, just because Mario Cristobal has, has slowly just – groomed and detailed just offensive juggernauts and linemen and they just kind of move the line of scrimmage at will and they create huge wide gaping holes and so I would not be surprised if they get easily over 200 rushing yards against our defense yeah and they have two they have one of the best running back you know tandems in football in college football CJ Verdell 
he has almost 300 yards rushing, three touchdowns. Travis Dye, uh, 194 and three touchdowns so far, only through three games. So, yeah, they're led by Anthony Brown, who's a very good quarterback, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, so, yeah, I think this one's going to be very one-sided. And, I mean, I would be shocked if, if Arizona, you know, covers that spread at 28. Yeah, I I hope they can get on the board in some ways. I think, like I said, I think they'll have to try to do some untraditional stuff. And I'm I'm really curious to see if they come out from the start of the game and just try to put the ball in the air, kind of realizing that they're not going to be able to run the ball a ton very well against the defensive front. Yeah, um... So, yeah, let me just get, uh, Jordan, like, what's your prediction here? Your final prediction for the game, score prediction? I I don't have a hard time seeing Oregon put up at least 40 points in this game. And I sadly don't think UA will put up more than 20. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go 45 to 10 Oregon. What about you? I'd probably say 40. 40, no, I'm going to go 50. I think they'll put up 50. 50 to 14, I think, will be the final score. Yeah, uh, that sounds pretty good. But before we go, Jordan, I just wanted to talk about uh, a little bit of the rest of the schedule and see and try to answer the question of, is there another win on this schedule? Uh, After Oregon, you know, they have their bye week early on this year. Then they have UCLA. The Bruins are coming to Tucson. Um, for family weekend. Uh, then they go on the road to Colorado. Um, they have Washington at home, in California for USC, then Cal at home. Uh, do, do you see any wins here? I know Colorado really struggled against Minnesota, so it's also at Colorado. I th- U of A just over the last few years have also had just really hard-nosed games with Colorado, so I could see that still being a win. Um, I think Cal is a question mark. I know they gave up, yeah, they are. I think, almost 30 points to was either Sacramento State or Portland State within the past two weeks. So um, I know Justin Wilcox is still trying to put a program together at Berkeley. I think, honestly, those are probably the only two two games that I could see being super competitive. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be brutally honest here. I mean, after last week's game, if they won a game this year, I'd be shocked. I mean, like, I would be shocked. If they won a game this this year, like, that would be a major step forward, as we know, but, like, yeah. that would be pretty crazy. I know it's super hard for you to think because you were at the game last year in Tucson, but... But I think that ter- territorial cup matchup is is very interesting, especially get out of here with the. I no like like you say that, but college football has a way of it does. That's of, the weird thing. I agree. Tipping the balances, especially in those rivalry games. I know it's been a lot one sided in a lot of the bigger named rivalries over the last few years with Michigan and, and Ohio State and Alabama and Auburn and Oklahoma and Texas, but. I don't know. It'll be interesting, especially being in Tempe and and I don't know. I if, yeah, if we got a win, that's 
that's the win that would very much change a lot about what this football team did this year. I think if we lost NAU but we beat ASU, I think people would very quickly forget about us losing. Or about yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. NAU. So I, it's just college football is crazy and robberies. So that's that's I think the one I would circle. I'm actually hoping to be in Tempe for that one. So we'll. Yeah. Well, uh, Jordan. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. But be sure to follow our Twitter at Wildcat Sports, our Instagram at Daily Wildcat, and I'll actually be in Eugene for this Saturday's game against Arizona. So be sure to check out all of our coverage leading up to the game. And until next time, we say peace. Later. Thank you for listening. This has been the Daily Wildcat Football Podcast. Be sure to follow us on all of our social medias, including Twitter at Wildcat Sports, at Daily Wildcat on Instagram, and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And listen every week. Be sure to follow our coverage leading up to our game against Oregon on Saturday night at 7.30. Thank you for listening. This has been the Daily Wildcat Football Podcast.